You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Monster House presents... Monster Talk's a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as The Daily Meditation Podcast, I Know What Scares You, and When Things Go Wrong. If you'd like to advertise on the show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. For every sci-fi story about helpful, intelligent constructs, there's probably ten or more that pit these creations as antagonists or enemies. We're in the middle of the biggest hype cycle for artificial intelligence in years, and journalists and editors are leaning into extremes for their framing and for headlines. It's hard to find good coverage that doesn't also bring up 2001 A Space Odyssey's Howl, Skynet from the Terminator films, and robots like Megan. As a person who's deeply immersed into technology, monsters, and brain science, I'm finding myself struggling to keep up with what might constitute a real threat and what is mere hyperbole. AI has been creeping into our lives for a long time, but I guess before we dive into this conversation, let me reiterate something that'll be said in the discussion. The terms AI and artificial intelligence are basically useless. They originated as ways of talking about machines emulating human thought, but that holy grail capability is now referred to as artificial general intelligence, or AGI. And AGI is not a real thing. We're not close to that being a real thing. What's being called AI today is mostly tied into two kinds of systems, those focused on predictive text and those focused on generating art from prompts. And these two technologies have been around for a long time, but a combination of factors has led to them becoming truly useful to a broad swath of the public for the first time. As predicted by Moore's Law, the regular doubling of computer power has made the processing of vast quantities of data possible. 
And when you combine that with the accumulation of mind-bogglingly enormous sets of training data, it's possible to produce outputs that approach or surpass human capabilities, at least for some of us. For example, chances are ChatGPT can produce working Python code for a specific problem faster and more reliably than most human programmers. Chances are these online art tools can produce art faster and more smoothly than most human artists. But what does that all mean for us? These new technologies are disruptive, and because they could be implemented in a variety of ways, we're at a really interesting point in history when we'll have to decide lots and lots of questions about what's personally ethical about the tools, what's socially acceptable to do with the content they produce, whether and how to integrate them into our lives, how the training data they use can systematize biases and erroneous thought, and whether jobs will be taken or will the tools lead to net increase in jobs, and so on. Should we be afraid? I don't know. Personally, I'm not, but that doesn't mean I won't be negatively or positively impacted in the future by this whole class of tools. I think the future looks really exciting, but we're at this really awkward phase where we have to figure out what it all means, how to use it ethically, how to spot which news stories are legitimate, and which are marketing hype press releases disguised as news stories. This is just our first conversation on this topic, but lots of people are amazed and simultaneously also threatened by these new tools, enough that we feel we must talk about it too. But hopefully this will be a different conversation than you would get anywhere else. Monster Talk. Hey, today we're talking with Miles Greb. Miles is a comic book artist, podcaster, and science enthusiast who creates works such as After the Gold Rush, Clovis, The Artist, and Espers. And he is the co-host of the Plastic Plesiosaur podcast, along with YouTuber Trey the Explainer. And he's been a friend of the show for a long time. Now, while I personally have pulled away from social media, even here at Monster Talk Manor, we have heard that Miles, like many, many, many other creators, is upset about how artificial intelligence is being used on the Internet. And this is a topic that's going to be debated hotly, even as the technology continues to progress. But how it progresses and what materials feed and train it can have profound impacts on the utility of the tools and may directly financially impact people whose work trained those systems. So we'll be talking a lot about art in today's discussion because Miles is an artist. But anyone who works with words is likely to be impacted or has already been impacted by AI and large language models in particular. So, welcome to Monster Talk, Miles Greb. Yeah, yeah good to show. be. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good to finally be on the show. Um, I've talked to Blake before. He was on my podcast. We talked about giant monster boars. But it, it's good to be on Monster Talk itself and uh, talk about this technology people are calling AI. Well, Miles, uh, I approached you to appear on the show because we had had uh, you're a member of the Monster Talk Facebook group yes, and I had a number of complaints from people uh, one person who said look I'm going to have to leave the group if uh, the group can't be moderated more tightly when it comes to AI art and uh, I'm the, the sole moderator of the group at the moment so if anyone's interested in getting involved please reach out to me but uh, I don't get to see everything that's posted but I have seen some AI art that's been posted. And uh, it, it is really difficult to, to keep track of everything and, and to moderate everything that comes through. But I thought to begin with, could you tell us a little bit about AI art? What, what exactly is it and what makes something, what makes a, a, an artwork AI? Um, well, that's an interesting question. Uh, 
foremost, it's a little bit like the Holy Roman Empire, where uh, you know it was neither holy nor Roman or an empire. <laughs> Talk amongst um, yourselves. <laughs> yeah, because AI art isn't using what AI would traditionally like be experienced. Right? You have like narrow AI. You have general AI. Narrow AI is some kind of program we have used to use algorithmic or machine type learning to solve a problem. General AI is a proposed form of AI, which is like you'd see in science fiction, right? That's like what HAL 9000 right. would be, which doesn't currently exist. It's just proposed. Um, what makes these images right now, there's a couple different things. Probably be too long to get in the full technical thing. But one of the most popular is called stable diffusion, right? Um, stable diffusion is named after, you know, a principle in physics. And it normally uses the example of if you take like a drop of dye, like take a drop of red dye and drop it into a glass of water, right? It will eventually re reach an equilibrium where that red dye is all throughout the glass of water. But before it reaches that equilibrium, right, there's that moment where it drops in and it starts to pull and it's darker in the beginning then it spreads out. That process is spreading out. What stable diffusion does is it reverts that process and it can see how it got to be in the equilibrium state where the whole glass is red from that drop point. And you can train the computer to revert that process over and over and over and again. And it learns like how things got from where they are to how they're going to be. And when you apply that to illustrations, it begins to learn the tropes and lighting effects and line work that is popular in the artists it's trained to look at. And then it begin it can begin to replicate certain tropes and lighting effects and stuff that is used in this illustration to make a mimicry of other people's artwork. Um, one thing that has a lot of people in the art community abroad um, upset about this technology is that in order for this stable diffusion process to work, it requires massive amounts of inputs. And these inputs are being taken from the art community without their permission currently. There's a database called Alion, uh, which is spelled L-A-I-O-N. And this has some two to five billion, depending on the version you use, references largely scraped from popular image sites like Pinterest of people's work, you know, like their actual art goes into this. And mm -hmm. um, because there's no clear opt-out process for this and there's no good laws around this, it, it's it's been called theft by some or at least um, forced participation by others. Mm -hmm. And then the people who use the art tools, the people who... Mm -hmm. Um, I know in my own personal experience, um, it's like, well, I could draw a picture, but it would take me a long time, or I could send a text prompt to an AI thing. It'll knock together something probably, honestly, not as good as what I could do by hand, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, but fast and like, it gets the point across, sure. you know, and it, it's super tempting, but, but that doesn't mean it's without consequence. And I, I think you've had what I guess is a rational sort of this is wrong response. Like you, you, you've had a, like a, a, an emotional response to it, but also like a, look, look, the, these people are charging money to have a tool that could duplicate the work of others or co closely approximate it, but they're not giving any financial compensation to the people who train these models. Yeah. Th there's a lot of ways we can look at what's happening here. Now, like I, I'm not a Luddite, you know, I, I'm a pro technology person. You can see, um, kind of the emotional side of this, which gets mistaken sometimes, of new technologies seem dehumanizing or yucky, 
you can look at like the GMO debate and some people who would consider themselves um, generally in favor of science think felt like there was something wrong with um, genetic modification of vegetables and make them better for consumption. You know, and I think that they were wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with GMO technology. And, you know, so that, that there's that kind of like yuck factor or worrying factor when um, automation or new technologies are introduced into things that like detach them from how they were viewed traditionally. So I don't think there is anything inherently wrong with st stable diffusion technology. I think it's a good technology. It's interesting. I think it continues to show how bright humans are and what we can invent. Um, so it's not like these things are bad. Uh, automation is bad. I don't think that that's true. I think the problem is um, these unregulated tech products um, are introduced as disruptive over and over again in the market. Like we see that with Uber, for example, right? They say we're going to break the model that exists within the market that we have. Um, and it's it's better because it's it's quicker, right? Because it doesn't have the government regulations. Consumers like that. They make a lot of money. But then what happens? They start to reintroduce all the problems of the thing that they disrupted. Same thing with streaming services breaking cable, right? It's like, oh, everything's here. It's cheap. It's accessible. Now, all of a sudden, they're much more expensive. They're much less accessible. And they have less content. And they're bringing ads back. So like they disrupt things, undercut the market, and then give us nothing of increased value. Um, what these things are doing with stable diffusion, the way it's being chosen to be used by these people who run the companies, not some AI machine is doing this. People are choosing to use the technology in a way to scrape others' art because you can't copyright styles. Copy their styles in ways that get positive results in the algorithm and then say, look, we can make art for you. And so the people are not being compensated. And also, this is a more emotional, ethical response, not a reasonable one. But I feel there is something sad um, where people are seeing art as just the content and not the process of an artistic creation. Like, take, take a famous image, like the American Gothic image, right? The two people standing. Uh, so in that image, the artist saw this house, right? It was a real house. And it has this Gothic architecture in it on a small kind of dainty house. But the Gothic image, you know, these are big churches in Europe and everything that were designed by religious people to, you know, like demonstrate their majesty or whatever they thought that their God is like, right? Like it, it has a purpose. It's supposed to be big and strong and elegant. But it's like, tack, like tacky on this house in America. And there's these two kind of simple people standing up front of it. So it's kind of like, what's going on here? It's kind of like a mockery, right? It's kind of like sarcastic. That's the point of the American Gothic painting. So like, yeah, you people replicate it all the time. Actual artists, right? Like there's a magic card with two goblins on it, right? Like in the same thing, it's, it's a common trope. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with people replicating that trope. But as it's replicated, as it becomes a meme, right? It loses the context. It's not, oh, these two people standing in front of this thing, like, the sarcastic, weird, what are Americans doing kind of thing. It just becomes, it's easy to do a motif of these two people standing there with whatever characters from whatever IP you like, right? So like that's when something becomes like art, it's intentional until like it becomes a trope. The computer does this a billion times rapidly all over. And so it's, it's just like the worst version of like meaning loss over time happening digitally to every single image, every single day, all the time. And sure, the outputs are might be visually um, appealing or useful, but they have they lack all meaning and intentionality. 
And I think that's something we need more of in our lives, not less. And so I kind of have a, um, I, I recoil from it a little bit because of that. Well, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many interesting sort of cr- criticisms to bring on the work itself. You know, there's the, there's the sort of ethical questions about how the training material is derived. Mm-hmm. And then there's the sort of human, is that a humanities question about, uh, you know, if computers don't have a sense of meaning, like, and they don't, they, they're, they're not, there's never a point in that process where the computer's going, oh, I, I want to make sure that I'm evocative of rage in this photo or in this image yeah. that I'm creating. Like, that, that's not a thing. It's just trying to push towards, you know, these text prompts based on its sort of text interpretations and, you know, concept interpretations from these various art forms or art, art sources, mm-hmm. I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning is not a thing that that I think these art programs could consider or would ever have. It's, it's just not how these processes work. But everything about creating art as a human experience and experiencing it as a viewer is just laden with meaning. And it's, it's such a human experience. So it's a bit like when they have those elephants paint a picture. It's like, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but where's the emotional content? What am I supposed to make of this, Right. It's so artificial, and I, oh man, I'm kind of rambling here. But it's like I, it doesn't. Okay. I don't know what to make of it. I'm still trying to process it, it and I don't mean that mm. um, lightly. I mean that deeply. Like I, I want it, and I want it to work better. To be honest, I, I, I too am a technology person. The, the majority of my experience with AI is is in the text side, and that that hits me as a creator, as a writer, but also as a programmer. Uh, yeah. Good Lord, uh, ChatGPT is an, a superb uh, Python coder. It's not perfect, but it's really good. It's like having a really helpful friend who knows how to code Python better than me, but I still have to double check his work or her work or their yeah, work. Yeah. And, and there's not, and again, there's nothing wrong with automation. Um, and again, these things we keep calling AI. That's that's kind of everyone buying into their branding because they're they're not really AI, and they're not even programmed to be AI. They're they're programmed to solve particular tasks through like this neural net network yeah. that yeah. set up, right? Like they, they use forms of machine learning. Um, they use AI because AI is a popular sci-fi concept, and they want to seem like they're like right. you know on the on the wake of Asimov, but they're just not. <laughs> My art is three laws safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like I mean, if if this was a year ago, um, a lot of these companies that are investing heavily in what they're calling AI. Would their ads would just it'd be the same ad, but they'd say NFT, and before then they'd say blockchain, right? Like it, it's just the new tech thing. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think some of that is frustrating as well because it's like let's disrupt the energy. Like everyone wants to make Web 3.0, and they keep telling mm-hmm. us they're gonna this thing is Web 3.0. Get ready, invest in it. Um, but why do we need Web 3.0? What does it mean, and why is this technology changing it? You know, and like it's just a constant barrage of kind of tech bro nonsense. And now they're coming for like the heart of humanity. They're coming for our ability to express ourselves by using computers to like brute force um, styles of, you know, communication villa illustration and painting. And it's like, is that really what we want to do? We want to let these people monopolize this stuff by turning art into content and producing so much content, people's eyes gloss over and they can't see the meaning in art anymore because everything looks um, similar and derivative, you know? Oh yeah. Homogeneity is a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's, um, 
there's issues of uh, certain body types and, and certain ethnic groups being highly represented or represented in certain ways in this art because they're picking styles that are popular within certain subcultures of humanity and making those the standards, right? So like you have a certain type of um, female form that you often see in digital art or anime art, which gets copied in these things that is reproduced constantly, you know, and, and one can argue that that's not necessarily healthy to have um, like this one version of the thing be the only thing that computers know how to draw good. So. Right. Well, so Miles, I'm left wondering, is there an ethical way to do this? And I'm thinking in terms of um, photography. So you've sure. got websites with uh, free photos like Pexels and Pixabay and, and some will have, uh, some sites will have free images and then others that are higher quality that you can purchase. So is there yeah. some way to source free art um, and to, to be able to credit the artists as well? Like, sure. Is there just any, any ethical way that this could be done um, aside from the, the way the art turns out and that kind of homogeneity that you're talking about? Yeah. Is there an okay, safe, ethical way to do this? Sure. I, I think that's a great question. Um, there are currently um, stable diffusion art gen generation programs that only use like open source uh, public commons type art, right? And they can produce flowers mm -hmm. or bumblebees or bears or whatever. And I don't see any problem with that. I don't think that that's wrong. I don't think that's unethical. I may think it's tacky and may not like, like it, but there's nothing wrong right. with it. Right. Sure. Um, that's a perfectly good use of automation. If you like want a picture of a UPS truck facing left or right for like your image, if you're advertising or whatever, the computer mm -hmm. can make that for you. There's no reason to go take the picture. That's fine. You know, that's not harming anybody. Um, but that's not what people really want to do with the technology. <laughs> they want they want um, to copy popular styles on Pinterest. And, and then try mm -hmm. to hype up this tech and then sell stock of their companies that they're making. Um, right. So that, te that technology does exist, but it's just not as popular. So. And do you think there's going to be some way that uh, those images can become protected um, in future? So like, like music currently is more protected than illustration-based art, mm -hmm. um, part, partly because the music industry, you know, like these the music that most people know gets popular signed by labels. They have more money. They have more protection. They have more um, lawyers. Art, yeah. Yeah. Artists <laughs> is spread out and non-unionized, right? Um, like my, my work is copyrighted by the automatic American copyright law. I didn't copyright it. I don't have a lawyer. You know, mm -hmm. so if they want to steal from after the gold rush or Clovis from my comics, there's nothing I can really do. Um, and that, that, that creates an unfairness. This episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com. It's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full nineties throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about, the stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost. 
and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. So, yeah, um, there, are, there are ways they could do this better. For example, like um, if you are trying to make a video game, there's a engine you can use called the Unreal Engine, which kind of like sets up how physics, lighting, things work and interact with each other. You can buy the engine and make your game in that engine. There's assets that artists have made in the engine that you can click on. Oh, I want this waterfall. It's $35. I want this rock or this tree or whatever, right? So if you were going to sell AI art that is like, okay, this is a popular lighting effect or anatomy work or pose. That is common among this artist. I'm basically copying his style. They would get money from that, right? But there's no incentive for the companies to do that, so that basically won't happen. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I, you know, this is a podcast, but if anybody wants to see, I can show you images of Discord of the Discord of people who work on these technologies talking about artists they're scraping and want to scrape them, and how that they, in their own words, launder their names through putting them through um, the nonprofits that collect things. Like wow. And so they are intentionally and willfully taking popular styles of artists, which they name, um, to do this with. So I don't think that they have the incentive or desire to do it ethically. It is interesting. There's kind of a disconnect between what people think uh, these tools are capable of and what I've actually been seeing in the wild. And, and yeah. I, 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 uh, Stable Diffusion seems to produce some pretty amazing stuff. Um, nothing against Dolly, but everything in Dolly comes out looking like uh, I had like when I first discovered the blur tool in the nineties. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is un- unintentionally surreal. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I haven't had much luck, uh, honestly. I, it, it, I, in my experience, if you want something specific, it's better to use Fiverr. Uh, <laughs> like just hire an artist because yeah. you get some really great stuff at a reasonable price. But uh, um, uh, I think it's kind of ironic that Dolly is named Dolly because the in the '90s when um, we finally were able to clone like a multi-organism species, right? We cloned the sheep Dolly, and that was a technology that people were very scared of in the '90s. But interestingly, um, cloning hasn't taken over and destroyed us yet, like it did the Republic and Star Wars. That's right. Um, so that, <laughs> yeah, that, sure. yeah, it has yet to occur. Um, but but Dolly, which is named the same thing, which uh, may greatly damage um, the art world, um, isn't named after, but it has the same name. I thought that was an interesting coincidence. It is. Well, I, yeah, I didn't know if that was. I assumed that was on purpose, or if it was a sort of pun I, I, on Dolly, Salvador Dolly, as well. Because yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. I, I haven't heard of it, and I wasn't sure if you were saying Dolly. D-A-L-I or Dolly. It's, like the, it's the as ship. far as I'm aware, <laughs> and I could be mistaken, it is just based off Wally, the excellent Pixar film. Oh, I didn't Oh, really? <laughs> this whole oh, time. Okay. I Although uh, uh, Salvador Dolly is uh, is probably closer to what you get on the out, output. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I somewhat <laughs> doubt I somewhat doubt um, the people who are working on this have a very good art education. So they may not know. Fair, fair. You know, it, oh. it, 
in my job, I've done a lot of work studying AI and trying to understand it. And, and I know it does a couple things really well, different tools, but it, it the predictive tech stuff, it, you know, a lot of that is surprising in, in how it's built off of sort of how your brain works. And I don't want to think of myself as being a glorified uh, predictive text machine, although it seems like maybe at a neurological level we are in some ways. Um, oh, that's another topic, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on the art side, it's it's more like trying to converge on a goal. Like it, it, it's like iteratively working through a process to try to get to some end goal based on the prompt. And uh, the, the results can be very peculiar, you know, but at their best – they can be really amazing. I, I I have yet to see any that I've I've wondered about whether they were real or not. It was always been pretty clear when something is that, AI. That's one thing. I'm, mm. I'm uh, I I feel like I'm always able to tell. Yeah. And a lot of people yeah. are like, "How do you know?" Yeah. And, exactly. Um, I, I don't know. I wish I could uh, explain it better. I'm kind of reminded of Orwell's essay on politics in the English language when he talks about like how words to describe art are kind of squishy and bullshit. You know. Because uh, like it's like yeah, there's just a sheen to it. Um, sometimes things are out of focus in the wrong places, or the light is in the wrong places, and my brain just kind of knows, you know. So I don't I don't know how to communicate that to teach somebody, but I, I've always been able to tell, right? To my knowledge, yeah. It, you know it when you see it. Yeah, yeah. I know what yeah. you mean. <laughs> but I want to ask you, Miles, mm-hmm. is there a point where uh, AI created content becomes plagiarism? Is there a um, kind of definable point? So, I mean, like legally, um, probably not at this moment, you know, um, part, part of the thing is this. So it's copying style more, right? Although there are examples of people's um, actual like watermark or their signature being copied somewhat poorly in the AI, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So that kind of shows where the database is going. That's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there. Exactly. Um, I've had friends of mine, like um, RJ Palmer, the great artist who does like Pokemon and Godzilla and like um, paleo art stuff. His, you can see his signature on certain things, for example. So, I mean, that's kind of a gotcha. But generally, they're copying styles because artists use, um, not using this word in a negative context, but they use tropes, right? They use certain line work, like Jack Kirby, the, the creator of Marvel Comics, right? Like his way that he draws anatomy and stuff, it's very definitive. It's, it, it, it's predictable. And so mm-hmm. these things can diffuse that and predict it and mimic it, right? But you can't copy that style, not legally. Um, right. So some of this is kind of like an ethical cultural debate, just like in comedy, right? You can't mm-hmm. copyright a joke. You can't do it. So comedians have become extra protective of people stealing jokes. So they don't go to the law. You know, there's there's no policeman to call. Well, what happens is you kind of got to you kind of got to bully people and they're not stealing jokes. That's just that's what you got to do without the law. Right. So like mm-hmm. that's kind of how the art world is feeling right now, because we're like like. Whatever the law is going to be, it's going to be. I don't know if we can trust 80-year-olds in Congress to understand stable diffusion. You know, it's not really interested in them legislating the fix. I more want people to care, you know, um, to care about artists, to care about the art itself. Because I think even if, even if you're not empathetic to the artist, if you care about the art itself, you might not be as impressed with what these rocks we tricked into thinking are able to replicate. Yeah. It it's also peculiar because like I think when I when I'm thinking specifically this is let me with a caveat that I don't use the Facebook group but my wife does so I occasionally see the Monster Talk Facebook and I've seen how there's a giant influx of AI art on as a post and there's a lot yeah. of content so now but 
There yeah. was for a while there. Yeah. I, I, well, I, there you go. I, my ignorance is, uh, is uh, limitless. <laughs> there's, there's a few up right now. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but, it, but I mean, well, I guess yeah. it, there's a tendency, like if you think of a funny thing, like imagine if you're if you're a political cartoonist, you know, if you you think of a funny idea, you have to sit down and draw out the idea to make the idea uh, available to others through your art, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're a a person with lots of ideas, but you don't necessarily have the skill for the art, you quickly knock together a bunch of prompts, and then you can make endless meme posts of monster jokes and monster ideas, which is a thing that you can do, and is a thing you might enjoy. But it certainly is not elevating the discourse on critical thinking or or monsters sure. or any of this. It's 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 just it's a different kind of content. I'm not saying it's a bad mm-hmm. content. I don't know what I think about it exactly, except that maybe it's you know riffing on that sort of thing is not necessarily what the Monster Talk group should be about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's but I. People are, if you want to see a picture of Bigfoot on a Harley Davidson and there's not one available and you made it with AI art, I don't think you're a bad person, you know? Yeah. I don't think you've done a, a great disservice. It's just, it's just kind of hollow, you know? And it gets, it gets tiresome seeing it all the time. And although that image of, of this rocking Bigfoot on a Harley um, may not be the worst thing. It's still used by the same technology that's stealing the work of my friends and could steal my work and could endanger, uh, you know, something that is very important to humanity, our ability to express ourselves interestingly. You know, it, I mean, like, I don't, this this may kind of be a left-field argument, but, like, sometimes I get annoyed at low-quality content, like reality TV, taking over for scripted television. Yes, things. Me oh, too. Yeah, tell. I yeah. see the parallels. Yeah, because you're talking about like these, like you're a writer and you really want to tell a political story or a story about growing up as an immigrant in America or whatever it is, and you want to tell your story. It's like, yeah, we can make your show for X amount of money, or we could just have people like eat food and yell at each other and scream at each other and have mm-hmm. a guy who's going to become president one time yell at people on TV and oh, it's content, you know? And it's <laughs> just like it's just like we just lower the standard of content over and over and over again, and. Sure. That's not the AI doing it, but it's just like, why do we keep accepting this? And now, now we're accepting it with illustration, and it's just like, at some point, it has to stop, you know? Right. Yeah, and I see what you say, uh, and you're saying, and um, I think that a lot of I'd venture to say that a lot of people who are doing this don't really know what's wrong with it, or or uh, they just think this is fun. Uh, I'm enjoying doing this, and they're probably not thinking it through very much at all. Well, um, yeah, and, and <laughs> I, I've tried it a few times, like to wonder how it works and i don't think that that's evil you know it's not a sin it's just technology it depends on how you use it you know right right and i'd say on the facebook group as far as that goes if people want to report the pictures or if they want to send feedback um that's really the only way that i'll see these kinds of things otherwise they they do tend to uh fly by me well and you know if you've got a funny idea and you don't have art skill and you don't want to spend money on fiber to you know maybe there's cases where it makes sense but i i do think it's also the kind of thing that could be so simplistic that you could script it and just flood a site with you know ai images if you wanted to like which is and and that's what's happening yeah yeah (laughs) 
I think the people that want to get involved with the the website, with the the Facebook group, and they just don't really know what else to contribute. There's no discussion there, um, as you're saying. It's really just posting pictures. We had hoped, I think, that it would be a place for people to discuss episodes. Yes. Discuss research, discuss monsters, skepticism. Just topics. Exactly. All that sort of thing. And. I, I don't know that Facebook is really set up for that because it it tends to it promotes what it its algorithm thinks is important. So in you know it right. it takes very little to trigger me into some kind of anti Facebook screed, and I don't want to do that right now. But what I do want to say <laughs> is, in twenty twenty four, we're hoping to set up a Discord server and do a few other things to create a place where people can have. I'm hoping something of an elevated discourse on these topics. I really would like to, if, if there was a place where we could engage with listeners a little deeper than we do in, I mean, I, every now we get an email, you know, we get, that happens. Yeah. You know, Blake and Karen at mustertalk.org, not Blake and Karen, but Blake at mustertalk.org and Karen at mustertalk.org, you know, you can always email us. But these, the, some of the conversations we have in email never make it on the show because I typically assume these are private conversations. But if we had conversations in a threaded sort of the way that people used to use the internet in 2012, for example, you know, we had discussion boards and people would have threaded conversations and people would have different viewpoints and you would push back and forth. And occasionally somebody would just post a joke and that's fine. Yeah. But well, yeah, nowadays it's reduced. I think uh, people will just post something and then people like it. And that's about yeah, it. Or that's, that is that is what counts as engagement these well, days. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, well, it's, well, I think if there's one thing that social media has proven good at, it's elevating the level of discourse. That's what you- <laughs> <laughs> Like, and, and they they make everybody think they're going to go viral. Like that's it's like winning the lottery. You know, if you're mm-hmm. playing social media, it's like this idea that well, your post, your comment, your thing is going to become popular. You're going to get feedback. It's going to make you feel good. And it's like you're you're being set up. You know, the the algorithms don't care. You know, the things they promote are not the best things. It's you know, so I, I don't know. I I could get very negative. Let's stay back on this this topic of art. So, <laughs> yeah. so is is anything being done to set up sort of uh, legal guidelines around this, or are we stuck in the old West here for a while? Um, one guy did ask to have his art removed from the database, and uh, they told him that he has to pay $10,000 to do that. So that seems that a little high. Oh, <laughs> oh. So some companies are, like, DeviantArt has gone back and forth between allowing an opt-out feature which I feel like is uh, kind of messed up. So like if you're an artist and you put your work on there, you can opt go in. and opt out as opposed yeah. to opt in being the solution, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of messed up. It definitely biases the companies. Um, Are they getting paid for letting these guys scrape? That's unclear. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. It's, I mean, you, know, you, you can uh, have your opinion on human incentives. You know, mm-hmm. and leave you an answer, but I can't tell you yes. Well, I have um, also have experience with APIs, etc. So. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like too many abbreviations so, around here. So you you do also get the you know, you guys know how they cover Bigfoot and Loch Ness monster stuff. You know, the media, right? Yeah, so like, I sure do. You can get a lot of um, bad reporting on these topics, right? Like he's, there was a thing going around a couple weeks ago, like oh, a person uses AI. Uh, chat, basically chat GPT-3 and um, the stable diffusion AI art to like make a pretty girl and you can talk to her and this person's like making 10 grand a month doing that right um, like that's not even true like they, they, they were saying that they were getting brand deals and stuff to model the clothes um, all this just is not true but the media just reports that it is true 
you know, just because they're they're just kind of rubes when reporting on uh, strange oh, stories. Yeah, than yeah, yeah. You know, I, I do know. I do. All right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So let's do this. What do you think if there was an ideal future? For art-based uh, artificial intelligence, and we're again acknowledging the AI is not really what it is, but yeah. if, if if this sort of uh, machine-generated art, if there was an ideal future, right. what would it look like for you? Um, I the the technology is is good to use as a tool in Photoshop that can help you uh, mix things or Ooh. switch brushes. Yeah. Um, for example, you could say like uh, help help me with the lighting. Or um, I like the way that I mix the colors here. Help me get my color palette to match my usual style. That would be fine. Or, you know, they already have things in Photoshop to rotate and everything like that. But if you, you can rotate and match the sun, that's fine. You know, like like the technology isn't bad in and of itself. If it can help you um, do realistic backgrounds, like, oh, I want this person who I, I'm drawing in a realism type way to stand at this particular place in Yosemite. Can you render this for me and match my color palette? That's fine. It's not really a problem, right? It may not be that interesting to me then, um, but there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's not going to be used that way because it's not as profitable. So, I mean, the, the ideal scenarios are just, like I said, maybe they'll have it so like if AI stuff gets used, the artists get paid a certain amount of money. But even if that's the case, that would only be if they're making so much money that this is just a pittance to avoid any class action lawsuits and trouble. So it's just kind of like giving shellings to the people complaining. So mm -hmm. um, I don't think there will be an ethical way for it to be used, really. However, I also think it will burn itself out in a few years because it's just too samesy. And people, oh, get, good point. people yeah. get tired of it because it's, it's mimicking yep. like some of the most popular like digital art anime styles and those things change over time they become old hat and look it it's never dented. going to be able yeah and it's never going to be good at line work like like go watch um act like the classical disney animated studios before they became an evil conglomerate right like go watch like the old artists talk about designing their characters and how their line work would change as they're trying to get the mood of the character there they would mm -hmm. learn things about the character through the way they drew them and you can see in that concept art them get to point A to point B, making Aladdin or Robin Hood or Snow White, right? Like, that's interesting. Because that's a human using the illustration to discover and make a character. AI art will never do that, and eventually people will get bored of it. Um, I don't believe in the whole, like, um, it becoming generalized singularity thing. That's like people... <laughs> yeah, that's... That, that's an, yeah, that, we're going to have to have a whole episode on Kurzweil and the whole singularity yes. idea because yeah. I've, I've been working we'll on that. I'm a hard I, skeptic of all of that. So This yeah. is treating AI like a monster, right? This is like the cryptic version of AI. But gen general AI doesn't even exist. So like the dangers of general AI are unknown. It's 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 completely science fiction. You know? Well, and thank you for saying that. It's a perfect segue into closing this out, which is to say that this is our first conversation about this. We, we've I guess the closest we've come maybe is our episode on, on robots, uh, mm -hmm. but we're going to be talking about AI more this year because I'm deeply interested in it. There's ways in which I think it's extremely helpful and useful. And it's kind of like the VR versus AR, so virtual reality versus augmented reality. I believe very strongly machines can be used to augment human abilities and can be very helpful. But I think when you try to replace humans completely, you, you run into some real challenges and problems. And some of that uh, sort of leans into the monstrous. And we're going to get into that. Yeah, sure. Well, yep. Digital computers don't work the same way as analog computers work. That's right. You know, so they have very different <laughs> outputs. Like so, sometimes people think that a function is similar. Therefore, the process is similar. Yeah. Like if you if you spin a record, right, you spin it 
music comes out. The CD spins, music comes out. So you're like, oh, these are similar. These are analogous. They're not analogous at all. They're completely different technologies, you know? So like, it, it's easy to mistake an AI doing a thing for an AI doing the same thing the same way. Yeah, quite. Well, Miles, thanks for starting this conversation with us. So as Blake was saying, we're really going to continue this and look into a lot of other yeah. other areas. But you've given us a lot to think about, a lot of food for thought with this episode. Yeah, um, but it's great we wanna... to finally be on Monster Talk. A little weird to yeah. be talking about uh, my complaints on Facebook <laughs> <laughs> rather than uh, cryptozoology or some other weird thing. Uh, people should check out the Plastic Pleasy Store for sure and, and other things that you do uh, in your comics for sure. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, you, you're, you're in this cool spot where you are – you're very science-oriented, skeptically oriented. Mm-hmm. You like monsters. And you're seeing how this new tool is being used and manipulated and maybe exploiting people and maybe doing a lot of things that could be doing better. And, you know, so there's a lot of thought. There's a lot to unpack here. And I really appreciate you helping us start this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was great to be on the show. But as you said, this is your first time on the show. So we have to ask you our signature question. And that is, what's your favorite monster? Um, I wish I had one of the weird ones to say, uh, but it's just Nessie, and it, it is. That's a so, classic. We're yeah. always happy to hear that. <laughs> the reason why is people don't actually think it's a relic plesiosaur. They think there is one monster, and it's Nessie. And Nessie lives alone in that lock magically, like linking it to some sacred misty time in the past. Yeah, and like, yeah. and I, I like it because it's such like this mystical romantic idea, but then sometimes people get, well, Hey, that's not real. So they try to like pretend like they care about a scientific explanation for it. And oh, I think that it's funny them trying to like retrofit that onto what they believe. And mm-hmm. also, man, that, that swan neck coming out, that's just a great shape. It's a beautiful <laughs> shape. You know? For an artist. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and plus I say this on our podcast, the plastic please sort of podcast. Um, the cool thing about the Loch Ness Monster is that it's actually out there, right? Because the Loch Ness Monster was a wooden and rubber little toy that mm-hmm. that gynecologist floated out into the lake and took a picture of that day. And it sank. And it's never been recovered. So the thing that you love, that image, it's actually still out in that lake. So long, long <laughs> there you go. The yeah. Loch Ness Monster. It's, 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 it's a relic of the Plasticine era. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for a pun. I hadn't heard one the whole nice. episode. I'm going to be on an episode with no pun. What the hell? Is this? No, no, no. Well, that can't be go. true. That can't be true. Came like, through. Yeah. There, just at the last you. minute. <laughs> Thanks so much for spending some time with us, Miles. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Miles. We did. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. You just heard an interview about artificial intelligence and AI art with Miles Greb. You can find Miles' work in comics and podcasting linked in our show notes, and you can check out the Plastic Pleasy Sword podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find his comics and links to other work at afterthegoldrush.space. I have so much I'd like to talk about regarding this subject and from dozens of vectors. So we will be revisiting it in some deeper dives coming up this year. But what I don't want to do is to try and cram a technical explainer into the format of this podcast. But I do want to point you to one that I found very helpful. I've taken several classes on AI and toyed around with some of the platforms 
But the best fast yet deep coverage about how this works under the hood that I've found is Carrie Ann Philbin's video on how machine learning works. It's a great intro. I put a link to that in the show notes as well. It's a really nice primer on the underpinnings of this technology. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. been a Monster House presentation. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.